Hello, my lovely listeners. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Here for the Crack with me, Emma Neil. I hope you're all doing good. I swear to God, I cannot drink for more than one night in a row without getting nasally. So I do apologize for that. I've been waking up with a really sore throat every morning. My body just doesn't like drinking back to back. And I didn't even get drunk in London. I was actually very tame. I was quite proud of myself. I was calling it a day after a cocktail and a couple glasses of wine, which is not like me. But I think I was very aware of the fact that I was kind of doing something every night. So in order to be able to do something every night, I needed to do that. Whereas I think if you're just like going on one big night, you're like, ah, fuck it. And then I know I can't drink on a hangover. Anyway, London was so fun. London's just always hectic, isn't it? Like, you don't go to London to have a chill weekend. That's not a thing. That will never happen. You gotta prepare yourself for it. But I was prepared. I hadn't been in ages. I had lots of lovely plans with like people I hadn't seen in a while. Oh my god, the amount of good food I consumed was just... Wow, just out of this world, honestly. And I kind of, did I try? Yeah, I tried like all new places as well, which I love kind of, you know, checking off different restaurants and cafes and things that you've had on your list to try for ages or have been saved in your Instagram or TikTok folder for London for ages. So that was really nice. I would say my top eights for anyone that lives in London or just for anyone ever going to London for a weekend. Let me think. No, I, I am a whore for a good Gale's coffee. And I do generally try and go for like small independent, you know, one-off coffee shops just because I like to support them. However, something about a Gale's oat milk latte, oh wow, it really does hit different. I actually think it's a bit of a blessing in disguise that I'm vegan sometimes when I go into Gale's and I see their like huge range of stunning baked goods and sandwiches and pan of chocolates and chocolate croissants and everything and I'm like you know what it's low-key a blessing that I'm a vegan or otherwise I would literally be buying one of everything right now and go bankrupt from it. Another coffee place I love in London actually is that Colombian one. Wait let me find out the name of it. It's called Hermanos Colombian Coffee Roasters. They've got like eight locations in London. They do really good coffee and matcha and sometimes like little sweet treats as well. You know what London do really good? Lebanese food or like that kind of Middle Eastern style cuisine where it's just like little cafes and it's kind of like a deli front where you can just like kind of pick what everything that's in your falafel wrap and take away or they've just got a really small seating area like really nothing fancy at all generally pretty cheap we just don't really have anything like that here now we do have umi falafel which does slap but I don't feel like we have any like really, really authentic kind of Lebanese salad sandwich bars like that where you get the really good lentil soup and, you know, the, well, not that I eat halloumi, but I was going to say like the really nice halloumi and everything and like fresh falafels. Sorry, Umi does do all these things, so I'm not discrediting them from that. And I actually do really recommend you try Umi if you're from Ireland. They've got, I'm pretty sure they're in like most major cities in Ireland. Major cities? Do we have major cities? Is that a thing? I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're in like Belfast, Dublin, Galway. Yeah. But that's just something London does well. And I really love a good like going with someone else or multiple people sitting down and just ordering to share from a Lebanese restaurant like that is my favorite thing to do and getting to try a little bit of everything you know getting the baba ganoush getting the hummus getting the spicy falafel wrap getting the lentil soup and oh it's just like there's not one bit of that that doesn't slap So on the Saturday, basically the reason I was going to London in the first place, well, I did want to get a weekend in in London before I was going away, but we kind of planned it around other things. And I'd bought my sister tickets to go see Magic Mike for her Christmas present. And in the card, I basically I hadn't bought the tickets when I was giving her her Christmas card, but I'd just written in it that that was her present. But I wanted to wait and see like a date that worked for both of us. And basically in the card, I was like, happy Christmas, your present is tickets to Magic Mike. And then I just wrote in it at the bottom, I was like, and it's up to you if you want mum to come as well as like part of the present. Because I just wanted her to give her the option of that. Like I didn't know if she would find that not awkward because my mum's not like a prude or weird about that. Like, I don't know, it wouldn't be weird, but I didn't know if she would find it weird. Like 
bringing your mum to something like that so I just wrote at the bottom of it and like up to you if you want mum to come and she looked at me and was like yeah definitely and I was like yeah no I want her to come as well but I just wanted to check with you obviously because it's your present so we arranged to all go together to London to go to Magic Mike together and my sister picks this restaurant called Tendril now do they have a couple no maybe they don't have a couple of them anyway this restaurant called Tendril Kitchen it's like Oxford Circus area it's a mostly vegan restaurant but they do have a couple of veggie options and we didn't realize that well we kind of just thought like we knew they had a tasting menu but we also knew they had an a la carte menu and we thought you could kind of just pick whatever but then when we got there and they sat us down it was just the tasting menu in front of us so we were like oh okay maybe because it's like Friday and Saturday night they you just have to do the tasting menu so we had no other option but to do it and to be honest I'm so glad that was the case because I've never in my life got a tasting menu and I just would never opt for it because I either think I'm not gonna like half the stuff or the portions are gonna be like teeny tiny like you see when it's like those fine dining tasting menus the teeny tiny portions and I'm like I'm gonna leave here starving and I don't want that not when you're paying money for a meal anyway we have no option but to go for the tasting menu which was actually very reasonably priced I thought uh 48 pounds well sorry I thought after having eaten it it was very well priced just based on how much food we got because there was literally so much food I could have rolled out of the place there just wasn't a single course that wasn't like that didn't blow me away and how flavoursome it was and I think I was a little bit like when my sister booked it and I kind of looked on their website and had a look through their menus and nothing was really jumping out at me like I was kind of thinking I don't know why she's booked this place because normally she doesn't like places that are very vegetable-y as well. She definitely likes more like Asian foods and things with like fake meats or she would just basically she just would never opt for kind of like restaurants that do fancy vegetables (laughs) and which is a weird way to put it I know because when those things are on your plate that's not really maybe what they actually are or there's a lot more to them I guess so yeah I was like interesting choice from her but I'll I'll go with it like I trust her on this because she'd said she'd been before and I literally couldn't recommend it enough it was amazing now we didn't go for the wine pairings if that's something you're into I'm sure that would be delicious I'm not really a big wine drinker like I don't mind a glass or two of like a nice light rosé or pinot grigio or something with my dinner but I wouldn't be like that interested in having a different wine with every course I'm sure there'd be a lot in there that I wouldn't like but yeah honestly so delicious couldn't recommend it more it's called Tendril Barn Kitchen I think and also just handy if you say you're going to a show or like you're doing something in central London so it's kind of like more handy to eat in central London I'm always a little bit stuck on places to eat in central because I feel like a lot of them are just big chains and stuff like I do have my go-tos but it's nice that I now know that's there as well And then, of course, we went to Magic Mike, which was so fun. Oh my God, so it starts off. I was a bit mortified in the first kind of like five to ten minutes. If you've been, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been, right? So the first five to ten minutes, it's a man hosting it. And he's just like a bit, what's the word? I don't know how to find it without being mean about him, but he's just not the right fit for the show. Like he's just being a bit misogynistic and a bit... Oh, I really don't know how to explain it, but he was just making me feel really uncomfortable. And I was like, God, if he's taking, if he's kind of like hosting the whole show, this isn't really what I thought I was signing up for. Also, it was just kind of weird vibes. Like the boys that were dancing at this point were kind of in, you know, the kind of uniforms, not uniforms, the the kind of costumes that stereotypically male strippers would wear that you would like rent to come to like a Hindu or a birthday party or something you know those kind of like cringy costumes maybe like ones in a fireman kind of one ones in like a policeman one and it was like five boys maybe and they'd all got these like weird costumes on with this other man hosting and I was like Jesus Christ like this is not what I thought it was gonna be and obviously I'm sitting beside my mum as well so I'm thinking this is just this is a bit awkward like I was thinking we're getting full you know magic Mike vibes as in from the movie like the way they dance in that and thank fuck at one point he basically gets booted off the stage and it was all just a bit of like a kind of fake intro I guess and the woman steals the mic and she's the real host and she boots him off stage and the those men go away and it ends up being you know in their jeans and their white t-shirts basically what you associate magic Mike as being and it takes a complete turn 
for the better, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I was so relieved. And I think my mum and sister also were. I was looking at them being like, guys, I thought we were going to have to sit through that whole thing. Like an hour and a half show of <laughs> that guy being an absolute wanker. But no, it was kind of like all part of it. It's very, very interactive. Like, I think more interactive than I initially thought. I think it also depends on where you're sitting. We did have quite good seats, to be fair. I think I'd seen on TikTok that good seats to get were kind of like the front row of the second section because they use the gap between the first and the second section as a little kind of like walkway where they also dance as well as the stage. So although, yeah, it's probably really good to be like front row of the actual like proper front row where you're literally like looking up on the stage I think it's almost maybe a little bit better to be in the front the front row of the second section because you're just like you've got more perspective of everything and then you've also got them coming past you and it meant that like everyone got danced on like oh my god it was so funny when my mum got fully like <laughs> fully danced on and then she also got pulled up for a slow dance my sister got danced on and then I got I was literally one of the ones that got pulled up on stage mortifying me and one other girl it was one of those things where I was like when it was happening I was like okay I'm so mortified and I'm trembling with fear right now like I have proper stage fright with stuff like that but also I can't say no to this like if I look back in a few years time and I'm like oh I got asked to go up on stage with Magic Mike but I didn't I'll be fucking fuming so I did it but honestly it was like I don't really remember it happening you know when you just kind of not that you zone out but I guess I'm looking up at the lights and I'm trying to keep a straight face and I'm not really looking at what's going on on the stage with the dancers and stuff because I'm probably freaking out more that there's so many people looking at me reacting to them on stage. So I'm like trying to, do you know, (laughs) it's a really weird situation. Like I came down, I remember being walked off the stage and just thinking, what just happened? Like, I don't remember any of that. And actually a girl I knew was also in the crowd at the time and she took a few videos of me and sent them to me on Instagram and I watched them back the day de- the next day and was like wow I literally don't remember any of that I must have just been staring at the lights like trying to keep a straight face also what I have discovered now from being the person that did that because you know the way it always looks like the dancers are like fully not chatting up the person that they've brought up but like fully kind of speaking to them and maybe sweet talking to them a bit and you see like the person laugh and stuff and that's actually not the case at all (laughs) they're fully giving you instructions they're telling you what they're going to do next they are constantly checking in with you and making sure you're okay and like that everything's like okay with you I I don't know like obviously these things have to be consensual don't they they can't just like drag someone up that then is going to turn around and be like I didn't want to do that and you didn't ask me if I wanted to do that so they're very good at like constantly checking back in with you but yeah if you ever wonder what it is they're like they're not whispering into their ear they're literally shouting instructions and what the next thing is they're gonna do to them like he would be shouting okay I'm gonna go dance off with him next and he's gonna come over to you in a second but I'll be back and you're like okay (laughs) all right and then he comes back and he's like okay in a second just keep what you're doing hands on your app and then in a second I'm gonna take your hand and you're gonna stand up and I'm like all right okay like fucking trembling (laughs) but no it was fun definitely a good thing to do with like a group of friends in London I hope someone does it for their hen or something not that that's really on the radar for me or any of my friends but yeah it'd be a really fun hen or just like a night out in London if you were there for a weekend with your mates But yeah, top tip, if you do want to get brought up on stage or you want one of your friends to get brought up or something, sit in the same row as me and wear trousers. And if you definitely know you don't want to get brought up, then wear a skirt because I think they actually can't bring anyone with like a skirt or dress up because like if they pick you up or something happens and you fully flash and yeah, not really great look on them, is it? Not that I planned this, by the way. I did not plan it at all. In fact, I had no idea that they picked someone from our row. The only reason I got that row is because I heard it was good in terms of like the way they come dancing past you and it's like a bit more interactive. But yeah, apart from that, what's happened since I last spoke to you guys? Oh, last time I spoke to you guys, I was telling you about my plans for Valentine's Day and we had the loveliest Valentine's Day ever. I did the balloons upstairs and downstairs so I did like the floating balloons downstairs and I just did like the ones just regular kind of heart-shaped balloons just kind of sat on the bed upstairs with like 
some face masks and bubble bath and the nice like foamy shower gel and then downstairs it was just like a card and some red calvin climb boxers and was that it oh a bunch of flowers and then I also made espresso martinis with hearts on the top because I know I was talking about how I was gonna try and manage to do some sort of cocktail with either like a strawberry cut into a heart or like yeah espresso martinis with I did cinnamon in the end dusted on top to make a heart they weren't the best to be honest I think I could definitely improve for next year I think I'm gonna have to practice though whereas this I was literally doing when he was en route to my house in fact he actually rang the doorbell as I was making it so you know I was in a bit of a rush they didn't turn out amazing but it was still cute it's the thought that counts our dinner was incredible Mexican food like you just can't beat it sometimes I think a good taco and guac and chips and everything margaritas what more could you want and then we popped up the road to a little wine bar actually and just got a bottle of wine which was decorated really cute it had like roses on the table and it was just a very romantic night I thoroughly enjoyed myself in fact I haven't taken any of my balloons down because I'm just relishing in it they're just gonna stay up until they pop or till they deflate and the ones in my, that were on my bed, every morning I make my bed, I just set them back on top of my bed. Because why the fuck not? <laughs> Since I've got back from London as well, I've been able to get a little bit more organised with going travelling. So I do feel like before I literally felt like, what the fuck is going on? I'm literally leaving in two weeks. Whereas now I feel like I'm a little bit more on top of things. I've just kind of been making my way through my list of things I need to do and to get before going I am gonna start packing soon hopefully I do have my backpacks down from the attic and stuff I just need to start packing in my wee cubes and shit and then yeah take the pressure off like I don't I really just don't want to be doing it like the day before hungover and freak out that I don't have something that I can't get in a shop straight away you know I will have an episode coming up where I'm gonna talk all about traveling I'm gonna do a little travel Q&A style episode and answer all of your questions about traveling, you know, whether it be from budgeting and planning to even things like hair care and clothes and stuff like that. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. And also do not worry, you will still get the podcast when I'm away. I'm going to pre-record loads of episodes, so you're not going to miss out. And I also have bought a little mini travel friendly mic. It's actually the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I tested it out last night. And I'm obsessed with it. So I'm very excited to bring that away with me. And hopefully, I'm, well, I'm going to try and pre-record enough to get me through the first month. And then I think then by the time I'm in the Philippines and I'm in more chill kind of beachy places, then I'll be fine to record episodes from there. But yeah, don't stress about that, girlies. You'll have your episodes every Monday, fingers crossed. I guess Wi-Fi dependent. Let's quickly do Pit and Peak of the Week. I've talked enough about my week. Peak was, well, Valentine's Day and then just the day with my mom and sister in London. Pit probably just like my lack of sleep and feeling run down over the last couple of days nothing major recommendation of this week oh boy do I have a recommendation for you guys I have re-fallen in love I've never fallen out of love sorry with this song but okay I know I came on here and give you a recommendation of the week before I think this was literally ages ago where I told you about my morning routine and how this song was like an essential part of it and I actually can't remember what the song was right now. Wait, let me check what that song was. It might have been Three Nights. It also might have been Loveful. I honestly can't remember. Anyway, I go through these phases, right, where I get like hyper fixated on these songs and I have to play it in the morning to get me into a good mood. So for example, I remember in second year of uni and my obsession was with Three Nights by Dominic Fike. And every single morning... Without a doubt, I got up and I blasted it from my speaker and I would dance around my room and it just set me up for a good day. And I would go to the gym and I'd come back and I'd play it again when I was in the shower and like dance in the shower. And I'm a huge, huge believer in dancing and moving your body to like shift any bad energy. And I know that can sound a little bit woo woo, but honestly, just try it and tell me you object to that because I refuse to believe otherwise. Dancing is like the most healing thing you can possibly do and it just kind of even so it's even today I was on a call earlier and after the call I was like you know when you just hit a bit of a slump and you're like oh god I have so much to do I was like I need to sit down and record my podcast not that recording the podcast is a massive chore but you know what I mean I was kind of just like feeling a bit daunting and I was feeling like my energy was low and I was like how am I going to do this 
I put on the song I'm about to tell you and I danced to it and next thing I'm like wow I feel incredible okay so the song is untouched by the Veronicas I know you'll all know it and love it but sometimes you just need re-reminded of a song to bring it back into your life and I don't know how it came back into my life but basically when we were skiing I got into this habit of when we would come back from skiing and get a shower and then we'd like lie on the bed and you know when you're scrolling and you're just like oh I have to get ready to go out now and just say can't be arsed I'd play Untouched by the Veronicas on the JBL speaker and I would literally dance naked in the room and my boyfriend thought I was a fucking lunatic but these are the things we do to keep us happy (laughs) and then it came up on my TikTok as well the other day of someone else dancing to it and I thought wow this is a universal experience and now anytime I feel remotely like my energy is dropping or like I'm even slightly getting into a bad mood or just first thing in the morning no matter what I just play Untouched by the Veronicas and I do my dance it's almost like choreographed now to this point because I've listened to it so many times and danced to it so many times I almost have a bit of a set routine so yeah that's my recommendation of the week I can actually, you know what, I'll link my Wake Up Sunshine playlist in this podcast description because I have a whole playlist of kind of similar vibes of songs that just make you feel good and you can dance to like that in the morning and set you up for a good day. So yeah, check out the podcast description. I will link my Wake Up Sunshine playlist. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like recently my emotions have just been all over the place, like completely haywire. And I know in myself it's because I'm bottling things up, I'm letting things stress me out and I'm spiraling about them, I'm not talking about it, I'm just sitting there overthinking them, letting them stress me out even more and as a result I'm irritable, I'm getting angry at things I shouldn't really be getting angry at, I'm not able to be present and be in the moment because all I'm thinking is how stressed out I am about certain things. I know I'm not alone in this. I know this is something that so many of us face. We feel like we don't want to talk to our friends and family members about things that are stressing us out because they might seem small or insignificant in comparison to other things. Or we might just not even know how to go about initiating that conversation or opening up in that way to certain people and just getting the words out. And that's why therapy can be such an amazing safe space to get things off of your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down and causing you to feel like this. I have benefited from therapy so much in the past and one of the main things I think therapy brought to my life was just an immediate safe space where I knew it was time for me to talk. It was time for me to open up and talk about my stressors. I didn't have to have this like awkward kind of chat where I was like, hey, I want to talk about this or like not really knowing how to go about that with a friend or a family member. It just is that safe space for you to open up about these things straight away and there's no faffing around. And I think dedicating that time each week and allowing that space for you to open up in that way is literally the most beneficial thing for your mental health because just getting it out there takes away half of the stress straight away. And then not only that, but you talk it through, you rationalize it, you learn, you know, different better ways you can cope with these stressors. Also how to develop healthy boundaries and healthy routines and things that are gonna be preventative for these stressors in the first place. Therapy honestly just empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And I mean, who doesn't want that? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and completely suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. My listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash crack. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crack, C-R-A-I-C. And thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, let's finally get into this week's podcast topic. Now, this week I'm going to talk a little bit about choice feminism. This is something I have wanted to speak about on the podcast for honestly quite a long time. I feel like in any of my essays in uni, I was really kind of interested in, well, obviously I studied fashion marketing, so my essays weren't like wholly based around feminism, but I did really enjoy kind of 
delving into feminism but within like the fashion landscape and therefore choice feminism was something that kind of always came up as like you know a bit of an argument or what's the word like a criticism of uh third wave feminism today so it's definitely something that always piqued my interest and I did want to come and speak about but I didn't really know how to go about it because I am pretty aware that this is quite a controversial topic people have differing ideas on these things And also I think, you know, if you're talking about it and maybe saying like both sides of it, if the one side is taken out of context, it can seem like you're, not like you're anti-feminist, but you know, it can just seem a bit like anti-women, I guess. And yeah, well, that would be anti-feminist. But I think that's the beauty of podcasts is that because it's a longer form of content and you really are able to elaborate on things and really like delve into them and explain them and create just like a lot more context around things then things aren't so likely to get taken out of context you know what to get us all on the same page here why don't we start off with a little little backstory little history lesson with emma on feminism (laughs) no fucking hell i'm not qualified to teach that whatsoever but anyway let's just like go through how we have now come to have choice feminism like be a prevalent thing today because I feel like in order to understand exactly what it is and why I'm going to be speaking about it it's important to know like what it has actually come from and what it's stemmed in if that makes sense I'm not going to give years here though like I'm not doing full-on year timelines because there actually is a bit of like discourse around the years that and the different waves and stuff so to avoid misinforming and miseducating people I will not be mentioning years and I'll just be talking about the waves okay so first of all the definition of feminism is to want equal rights for both sexes I feel like the word feminism gets misconstrued so much people have this like weird perception of what feminism is when in reality it literally is that simple to want equal rights for both sexes and if you're thinking that we don't need feminism today and that equal rights have been achieved I'm telling you now to go away and do your research there are so many reasons why we still need feminism today I feel like the pay gap's always a big thing that people jump to and say that's why we still need it but to me that's such a it's obviously a big part of why we still need feminism but to me that's like such a small part that I feel like men are able to just list that because it's a very numerical thing when actually feminism is needed for so so many other reasons and will continue to need feminism as long as women experience such a high level of abuse and assault and you know as long as we continue to not feel safe around men basically that shouldn't be the case and as I said there's so many other reasons why it's still required anyway feminism is the one for equal rights among the sexes so first wave feminism came about in order to fight for the voting rights of women and because obviously back in the day it was only men that could vote however first wave feminism was like extremely extremely racist it was classist it was even homophobic it essentially just fought for the voting rights of wealthy white women so I feel like that tells you everything you need to know about first wave feminism like those so-called feminists only cared about that small group of people which to me is not feminism whatsoever I think you know if you actually break it down to what feminism is at its core and believing in the equal rights of both sexes then fighting for wealthy white women to have voting rights mm, it's not sounding very feminist to me (laughs) and I think that's pretty widely agreed second wave feminism then came further down the line and in a way responded to the criticism of the first wave by being classist racist homophobic by including more people within their scope of feminism however what they massively failed to do was recognize other people's lived experiences and how different forms of oppression can essentially combine and intersect with sexism to then create a different experience and therefore form of oppression for women 
So for example, let's take a wealthy, slim, heterosexual white woman. So the sexism that she will face on a day-to-day basis will look very different from, let's say, a black, transgender, working-class woman. Those two experiences of sexism are like chalk and cheese. In the same way that, let's say, a disabled Asian woman will also experience a very different form of oppression that is not the same as the wealthy slim white woman. And how these different forms of oppression combine with sexism is the reason that we need what's called an intersectional feminism. So if you've ever seen that phrase and just been a little bit confused by it and not really known what it means, intersectional feminism is what is required to fight for women across the globe, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter where you're from, what ethnicity, what age, what size, what your sexuality is, like no matter what, intersectional feminism should therefore fight for your equality as well. So going back to talking about the second wave of feminism, as I was saying, although maybe on the surface it seemed not quite so racist and classist, and all the other things that it was, because it may have been like, you know, on the surface, seemed to have been more inclusive of other women. They completely refused to acknowledge that there was other forms of oppression that women could be faced with or dealt with at the time. And they kind of, as a result, refused to acknowledge how that would affect or yeah, how that would then mean that their lived experience differs from that of like the wealthy white women. They kind of just had this stance of like, oh, but that doesn't matter because feminism is like the biggest form of oppression that we all face and that's what brings us together. When the reality is that that's not the biggest form of oppression that everyone in that room would face. And by completely ignoring and disregarding that, you're kind of telling other women that like you you're not, who are you to tell another woman that faces another form of oppression that that doesn't then affect how they experience sexism but they kind of had this view of like it being in the bigger name of like bringing us all together and you know it being this kind of one underlying cause but again by failing to address the intersectionality of other oppressions they were essentially just completely disregarding other women's lived experiences And in turn, I think still being racist, classist, homophobic, transphobic, like you're basically still being all those things. It's just maybe not quite as overt. And so that kind of brings us to, well, (laughs) there's a lot of discourse over whether it can actually even be called a third wave because there's not a huge amount of like unification over a big third wave movement, if you get me. But anyway, for the sake of the podcast, let's talk about today as being the third wave of feminism. So intersectional feminism, as we were talking about, has come as a result of, you know, failing to kind of include that intersectionality within the second wave. I personally think that although intersectional feminism is obviously so much better in terms of like being more inclusive and more um, understanding and acknowledging of different people's experiences. I think we still lack an understanding of how we can include women that aren't in the Western world. I think even with intersectional feminism, we still are kind of like focused on women in the Western world. It's very complicated though, because obviously to have like a global feminism it's like I don't know there's so many different cultures so many different communities ideas of what feminism should or shouldn't be ideas of how women are to act and also then you bring in different languages and all of that like it's a lot more complicated than it seems but anyway let's talk about how choice feminism has arisen so as I was saying I don't feel like there's kind of one big unifying thing from third wave feminism unlike the other waves and as a result of that there seems to be well I guess maybe intersectional feminism actually is kind of like the the big main pillar of the third wave however I do think there has been like an outbreak of lots of like mini kind of brackets of feminism if that makes sense and different ideas of it or different terms like 
I remember speaking about like girl boss feminism that was kind of like a little trend about feminism and then you had to question like was that really feminism and anyway I feel like choice feminism is basically another kind of like mini version of that like a little a little sub bracket of third wave feminism that we kind of need to question and I'm gonna get into that in a second but I actually thought I would read you out a little passage from one of my essays I did in uni because I feel like this explains choice feminism really well and then once I've explained it through the essay then we can like delve deeper into it. By the way for context this essay I was discussing can third wave feminism tackle today's gender inequality issues without acknowledging the effects of the fast fashion industry on women in developing countries. So we'll not get into the whole like fast fashion side of things I just want to talk a little bit more about the feminism side of things to explain about choice feminism and girl boss feminism and all that. Okay, so Amanda Lotz differentiates second from third wave by arguing that second wave feminists sought for unification of a universal sisterhood, whereas third wavers acknowledge the racist, heterosexist, classist and other implications that come about by ignoring difference. The misrepresentation in the media of third wave feminism as a monolithic celebration of girl power and girl boss wrongly conveys that the political fight for gender equality is no longer needed. Furthermore, Rachel Thwaites observes a choice feminism that has appeared and become a popular contemporary form of feminism today. This idea that encourages women to choose what's best for them, whether it's to do with anything from their work to their body, as long as they have chosen to do so, it can be justified as an act of feminism. This narrative has become increasingly popular due to celebrities and influencers. Despite it seeming supportive and inclusive, it ignores the fact that there are patriarchal norms that the feminist movement needs to fight in order to gain gender equality. Moreover, by allowing everything to be seen as so-called feminist, we are completely disengaging with any political discussion and doing a disservice to the movement. Upholding all women's decisions prevents us from examining and critiquing women's decisions in a patriarchal context to push for change. A single theory or perspective of feminism never exists. However, mass media's construction of feminism can make us lose sight of the gender inequalities that still exist today and that require activism to tackle. Despite the feminist movement becoming more inclusive and understanding of different voices across the spectrum, feminist theory still majorly lacks a global perspective, only accounting for women in the West. Even radical feminists of the third wave are ignoring the need for a transnational perspective that takes into account the struggles and the politics of gender faced by those in developing countries. There is a huge disparity in the problems faced by women of different nations that would require complex and sophisticated feminist theory. I feel like the second I have to read something out, I get brought straight back to like sitting in your chair in class and just being put on the spot to read the next page of the book. I don't know why. I just automatically fuck up every sentence. Hopefully that gives you a better understanding of where choice feminism has kind of emerged from. I feel like what's happened is that in recent years, and especially on social media, us women have felt a lot more empowered to be able to do certain things. We'll be able to do lots of things that say, let's say women a hundred years ago wouldn't have been able to do. And As a result of this freedom to be able to do these things and to feel empowered by doing so, that then instead of turning around and saying, you know, this empowers me and therefore I have every right to do this, like, you know, in the name of female empowerment, instead of labeling it as that, we've kind of started to label everything as being feminism or in the name of being a feminist. And putting it down to the fact that, oh, but she chose to do that and therefore that's the feminist decision for her. And the issue with labelling literally everything that we choose to do as being in the name of feminism takes away from what the actual greater cause of feminism is. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't do these things. And in fact, I'm all for, like could not be more for all women choosing what they do with their body, with their time, with their work. Like, no matter what it is, you go off. Like, I'm so for it. If it empowers you and that's a choice you're making for yourself, I am all for that. 
However, what labeling that as a feminist choice does, as opposed to just saying, you know, it's it empowers you and therefore that's the choice you're making, by calling it a feminist thing, like by saying, you know, it's my choice, therefore it is feminism to me, it's completely ignoring the fact that actually the patriarchy does exist. And for us to achieve certain things within the feminist movement, upholding certain structures and making certain choices ultimately aren't always going to be indicative of reaching equality of the sexes. And that's okay to admit. Not everything we do in life is going to be in the name of feminism. There are times we just make decisions that work for us. And sometimes you benefit from the patriarchy in those decisions. That's not to say that we always benefit from the patriarchy. There are a lot of disadvantages that come with the patriarchy against women and men, but mostly women. Anyway, I just feel like always saying that because you chose to do something, it was in the name of feminism. It's, as I said in the essay, completely disengaging from any political discussion that needs to be had in order to actually make moves within the feminist movement. And that's not to say that if you make decisions that do uphold certain structures and kind of like feed into the patriarchy and, you know, you find yourself often making decisions that benefit from that, that's not to say you can't be a feminist. You absolutely 100% can. There is nothing wrong with, in this life, wanting to benefit from a structure that deeply oppresses you at the same time. We're well within our rights to feed into that and make choices that ultimately just are easier for you because you're not, you know, facing the backlash that will maybe come from making the other decision. Sorry, I'm not really giving any examples of this. And the reason I'm not giving any examples is this is because I don't want to sit here and like tell people that if you're doing this, like that's not a feminist thing to do. That is not my place to tell you whatsoever. And that's why I'm very reluctant to sit here and give examples of this. Let's take the example of something that's really common and literally everyone does. And I also do. Wearing makeup, for example. Okay, so it's marketed to women specifically. Now, I know there are more men starting to use makeup now and that's becoming more of a thing. However, I'm just going to talk about the fact that makeup is heavily marketed towards women. So it becomes the norm that we all wear makeup. I've been wearing makeup since I was literally a child. I've been playing with makeup since I was a toddler, you know. I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this podcast has put some makeup on their face at some point. And like with a lot of other beauty products, women are the subjects and targets of the marketing of these things. And we're kind of made to feel like incomplete without certain products or, you know, we're made to feel like that's the norm. And in order to be taken seriously, say in the workplace, you need to be, you need to present yourself a certain way and you need to look a certain way and you need to look put together. And in order to look put together, you need to have a bit of mascara on and you need to even just have a little bit of BB cream. Or if not that, then you better have face tan on your face and you better look glowy and your hair better be brushed. Or if not brushed, then slick back and you better accessorize to go with that so that you don't look dull and boring. Do you know what I mean? It's like, this standard that you're constantly kind of told that you should uphold. And as a result, these products become completely normalized to the point that we feel lost without them. We feel better without them. You know, we've been putting these things on our face or presenting ourselves in this way for as long as we can remember. And therefore, when we don't do that, Not only do we face the consequences of that in terms of how people treat us, because that's what society has been taught, but also we almost feel a bit shameful because it's like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not sticking to, you know, this standard and I'm, I don't feel as like, I was going to say competent as other people, that's not the right word, but it kind of also portrays what I'm trying to explain because I do think people kind of relate like how you present yourself to competency and that's a whole other um issue within itself (laughs) but yeah we kind of then internally also feel not disgusting but you know what I mean you kind of just like have this feeling about yourself like it's just so so normalized to the point that we don't even question it and actually then to the point that we then turn around and say oh but it's my choice to do so and it's like sweetie this is not your choice what this is is a result of years upon years of conditioning and advertising 
and magazines and beauty standards and conversations had or overheard like this so-called choice that you're making today to get up earlier for work and put makeup on yeah okay if you look at it on a standalone instance maybe you could say it is your choice but actually that choice is so much deeper than it may appear on the surface and that's why these issues are so complex and so hard to talk about because on one hand you could turn around and say this is a choice that I'm making to put makeup on my face because it makes me feel better and I'm not doing it for absolutely anyone else and that's completely legitimate and probably how we all feel but then on the other hand you could say well if we're wanting to you know make better and kind of more feminist choices in order to not uphold this patriarchy we shouldn't be putting makeup every day on our face because why should we be made to feel incomplete or why should we be made to feel like we are less than or not taken seriously without makeup and should we not challenge that by not wearing makeup and starting to gain the confidence back that we once had before we started wearing makeup without it And yeah, maybe hypothetically speaking, we should. But do you know how many years of subconscious learning there is behind that? Behind that decision to choose to wear makeup? And how it's now actually affected you so much internally that you actually believe that you're not doing this for anyone but yourself. And you probably aren't doing it for anyone but yourself. But that's how ingrained it is into you that you're actually doing it for yourself because internally you would feel bad without it. Like, is that not crazy? And this is coming from a girl that wears makeup every day. So, you know, I'm not being uh, judgmental here whatsoever. (laughs) I'm just trying to like explain how many layers there is to this and why it's such a, a complex topic to talk about and ultimately why it can then be so controversial. The whole question around women being like the biggest subjects and targets of like beauty and makeup marketing and all that is like a whole other topic within itself don't even get me started on that but ultimately I think that often we just get mixed up in terms of the words we use to to justify our choices because If a choice empowers you and a choice makes you feel good and it benefits you and you look at it and think to you that's what female empowerment is, that's amazing. However, I think what we often do is then label that choice as being like a feminist choice when actually not every choice we make is going to be better for the kind of overall feminist movement and is going to feed into dismantling the patriarchy and achieving equality amongst the sexes and that's okay to admit I I think that we don't like to admit that we can benefit from the patriarchy the odd time and I'm very hesitant to say that and I feel like everyone else is very hesitant to say that because the patriarchy massively disadvantages us as women and has like so many other things that come with it However, that's not to say there aren't like little things that we can benefit from it from time to time. But I think we're too scared to admit that because the second we say that we benefit from it, then men could turn around and be like, see, you benefit from it too. And it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) We do not benefit from it. Like this is, you know, me getting a free drink on a Friday night is not outweighing the disadvantages that come for me from the patriarchy it's not even within the same realm and I think that's why people are hesitant to even mention that maybe there are little things that we can benefit from it because we don't want people to turn around and kind of throw it back in our faces and say that because maybe getting a free drink it's not really outweighing the fact that we don't feel safe on the streets we've less opportunities lower pay don't get taken as seriously are way more likely to face domestic violence, sexual abuse. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, the math isn't mathing. The the two do not outweigh each other. (laughs) But at the same time, I think because we face these cons or these disadvantages that come from having a patriarchal society, it's also within our right to choose when or when not to benefit from the little things that we can benefit from, if that makes sense. But then... Also, don't do that and say it's in the name of feminism. Are are you getting where I'm going with this? Basically, we want a feminism, though, that's inclusive of all women 
no matter where they're from, no matter how much money they have, no matter what size they are, what race they are, what sexuality they are. And it's not to say that people engaging in these things aren't feminist. It's just important to note that these things aren't conducive to the feminist movement. And not every action has to be, ultimately. Like, not everything you do in life has to be something that goes towards, like, a greater movement in the same way that, like, I don't know, not every action we make when we're doing our food shop goes towards being environmentally friendly. But we don't try to justify it and say that it is. I'm going to finish off this episode by reading you another little passage from my essay. I think this was part of the conclusion. So it's kind of a nice conclusive way to finish. Well, actually, it's not very conclusive. These kinds of essays are never that conclusive, are they? But it's a little bit more conclusive than what I read out before. Okay. Yin Lu theorizes that Western feminism has pushed many Asian women away from identifying with the word feminist in its ignorance to appreciate the difference in values and religious lifestyles, as well as viewing Asian women as a homogenous female subject that all fall under the one category and identity. The media's depiction of feminists being men-hating, bra-burning, angry Western women also alienates Eastern women from the movement. Feminists today need to form global alliances that can speak up on national feminist issues, find common ground and recognise transnational differences. Chanda found that students in Hong Kong rejected the label of feminist as well as feminism itself because there was a feeling that these labels betrayed their own cultural identity. Kaplan and Gruel state that Western feminists must acknowledge that one's privileges in the world system are evidently linked to another woman's oppression or exploitation. So actually, yeah, probably not the most conclusive thing, basically saying we need to get our shit together. (laughs) Right, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, don't forget to give me a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it on your Instagram stories and your TikToks. As always, thank you all so much for your continued love and support on the podcast. It means the absolute world to me. I love you guys so much. I will speak to you in next week's episode. Bye.